and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is uh, Philip Parkey, who is the president uh, and tonal director of Parkey Organ Builders in Duluth, Georgia, Metro Atlanta, a position he has held since 1995. Phil is a trained organist with a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of North Carolina in Business Management and Administration with concentrations in Accounting and Economics. He has studied organ building with key personnel from Flentrop, Moller and Aeolian Skinner and has completed study tours of organ building in England, Germany and France. Locally, he has worked with the Atlanta chapter of the American Guild of Organists, serving as board member at large, subdean and dean. He is a past president of the Atlanta Metropolitan Choral Arts Society. Phil's present duties include marketing, design and tonal finishing, but he also works closely with his staff regarding mechanical and structural design of parquet instruments. His work uh, has carried him through the central, southeast and mid-Atlantic regions of the United States. He is the current president for the American Institute of Organ Builders, AIO. The parquet organ Builders is a member of firm of the Associate Pipe Organ Builders of America, APOBA. In this conversation, we talk about Phil's uh, experience in organ building, his organ playing studies, and also about the current state of American organ building. Let's go to the show. So, Philip, I'm so delighted uh, we're finally having this conversation. I'm so eager to know all about your work and what does American Institute of Organ Builders does. So thank you so much for your generosity and insights that you will be sharing today and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate the invitation. Uh, I want to start, Philip, uh, about uh, uh, your story. Uh, How did you first fell in love with the organ? Do you remember those early days in your childhood? Oh, absolutely. I've I've been very interested in the pipe organ since I was a young child and was was fortunate to grow up in churches that had pipe organs and I remember hearing them on Sunday morning and watching eagerly the organist play and you know, uh the the second church we attended had a large array of pipes out in the sanctuary and it kept me interested sometimes during what was maybe not an interesting sermon, if you know what I mean. And uh but I enjoyed it very much and then later started studying organ to play when I was in college and um, then made a conscious decision to do a career change once I got out of college to get into organ building Mm -hmm. and that's where I've been for the last 26 years now so Mm -hmm. do you remember what was the first organ that you saw from up close the first organ I saw was a an organ that was built for First Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was built by the M.P. Moeller Company. Um, it was installed in 1969 when I was a child, and it replaced an instrument that was installed in the building in 1924, but unfortunately I don't know what that instrument was. But um, I remember watching the organ go in. It was interesting to see pipes appear each week as the instrument was being installed and then you know ultimately getting to hear it played after it was after it was completed and finished so uh 
I was actually allowed to play the instrument at um, one summer at a vacation Bible school. One of the instructors was an organist and took me up to the sanctuary to let me see the instrument. So at that time, for someone who was you know, 10 years old, it was very inter- you know, it was very interesting, very entertaining, and you know, extremely fascinating. So. Yes, of course, we are so fortunate sometimes in our early days when adults and and, uh, older organists uh, allow us to come up to the organ balcony and really touch the instruments and and play with our hands and feet, even though uh, we haven't learned anything before, right? Just try out new stops, new new things. So I'm so happy that uh, somebody really led to do this for you, and that probably ignited uh, lifelong interest uh, with the organ, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I was always fascinated by the sounds and the and the color and the dexterity of the instrument and the things it would do for services and watching the organist manage the instrument and play it and, and the color that it would, you know, they could create and the feeling that they created with the, the hymns and the service and things of that nature. But it was, was very fascinating. But yes, the, the person who took me up there Little did they know what they were setting in motion at that time, but I was was very happy that they were willing to do it because the organ was considered a very expensive item in our church, and no one was ever allowed to touch it. And I mm-hmm. said something about it at Vacation Bible School, and the gentleman said, well, I'd be happy to take you up and let you look at it firsthand. And that's when I was able to actually sit down at the console and look at it and then and, and see it firsthand. You know, But it was very interesting, uh, and uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But it was it was very much the impetus for me to stay interested in the instrument and then ultimately start training and, and learning to play the instrument. But um, I have a fairly extensive background in working mechanicals, so I was not only was I interested in just the playing aspect, but how the instrument actually worked and what made the sounds and the the pipe valves and the wind systems and things of that nature. So it wasn't until I got out of college that I was able to actually study that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just going to ask you, Philip. Of course, uh, you had to to have this curious nature. This maybe uh, uh, you had to know how things work, right? How how they are put together. You had to have some engineering, uh, um, maybe let's say curiosity, special curiosity of of a scientist, right? Did you have I, this I, in your in your early days? I had that. I had both grandparents and a father who were very much willing to let me work with things and show me how things worked and how to do things mechanically. Mm-hmm. And so one of my curiosities at an early age was to take things apart at the house when I was by myself to to see how the appliance worked or to see how the lawnmower worked. And usually I managed to get them back together in working order, and every once in a while I didn't. And Someone had to help me put it back, but we always managed in the long run. But it was, you know, it was a lot of, you know, basic mechanical interest and knowledge and working that was one of the things that also kept me very interested in the pipe organ. It's it's a very vast instrument. It ranges with a lot of schools of discipline from structural to aerodynamics to electrical that we all work with day in and day out on the instrument. So it's a very comprehensive instrument in that regard and it's i just find it very fascinating all mm-hmm. way you know all things considered so yeah of course and uh, philip of course uh, we all met those organists who are afraid 
to go inside of the organ, who are afraid even to touch, you know, the the trackers or the touch the bellows uh, in order not to f- uh, damage something, you know. And um, do you do you advise people to uh, to be a little more curious, to 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 get uh, outside of their comfort zone and uh, d- uh, let, let's say to take a peep in what it's it's signed inside of the instrument we we do um i i spent a number of years in my early career actually working in the automotive service industry so mm-hmm. it became easy to it became easy to analyze people as i worked with them as to their comfort level of mechanical aptitude and understanding some people were very afraid of mechanical things in general and didn't want to be bothered or didn't want to trust themselves that they might damage something but over the years I began to understand when people you you could get that inner sense when people were comfortable to try something and and I work with my organist much the same way some some people are not mechanically inclined very very fine musicians but mechanics are very elusive to them so sometimes we we don't push the issue but then again we have a number of organists who are, who are not afraid to go touch up the reading, you know, tuning on a reed or maybe relax a tracker that's too tight or something like that. And and very often if I'm willing to sit with them on the phone and guide them through the process, you know, a number of organists are willing to try it. Or, you know, particularly if it's a panic phone call at the last moment where they have a service or a wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll you tell them to take a deep breath, go open the door, remove this panel, and, and go look for this. And and once they do it and they've succeeded, then they have a huge sense of accomplishment that you know, and a lot greater comfort level in the future. But uh, we're we're never afraid to let them try, and and we'll tell them what to be careful of and what to be mindful of in the process. Those uh, those panic calls probably remind you of of uh, sometimes w- what we see in the movies when when somebody inexperienced enough has to uh, himself or herself to stop a bomb from detonating, you know, with the help from officers, (laughs) right? In some cases, the bomb is the bride standing at the other end of the sanctuary waiting to march down the aisle. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And you are on the other end of the line like a policeman or or from special forces, you uh, engineer, you know, uh, with these things, expert, and you say, oh, don't touch the the red wire, just the green wire. Yeah, don't touch the red wire, that's right. (laughs) And, and of course, the the time is ticking. (laughs) Right, but uh, but yeah, we get those. You know, we get them. We get those calls. You know, I I like to look at it from the perspective that if we, the builder, have done a good job in building and maintaining the instrument, hopefully those are very few and far between. But uh, I've always expressed with my clients and my staff that the magnitude of a problem is always directly proportional to the service that they're about to play. And it, needless to say, it's always the wedding or the major service at Easter or Christmas is where uh-huh. those things show up but uh, but yeah we're, we're always happy to work with people I want you know the more comfortable people are with the instrument and the understanding sometimes the better musicians they are they understand what they can get the instrument to do for them for service and for music and and for interpretation so I think I always look at those as being good things in that regard uh, and Philip do you uh, when you look back uh, to your experiences in, in early days, do you think that 
it was a good thing for you to study organ playing first and get acquainted to, with the art of, uh, of playing the instrument and then later getting into the building of this instrument. Oh, uh, uh, absolutely, because understanding the interpretation of the literature and the music or the hymn playing has a lot to do with how we do the tonal design of an instrument or how we structure tonal stops to work with each other and it even though I'm not the most proficient organist in the world it does allow me an insight to be able to sit down and relate and talk to the organist when we're doing that portion of the work there, like I said, there's so many facets of, of the construction process, and as, as the owner of a company, I have to be versed to a certain degree in all of them. But, you know, one of the main things is we want to, the musician to understand that we're trying to build the instrument to suit the needs that they, they need to fulfill with it. And understanding that literature and understanding the schools of organ literature and, and the time periods and the history is very, very helpful to understanding what we need to make our instrument do in the long run. So, yes, very much. I, I, would, I would have been lost had I not studied organ in the beginning, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Plus, you speak common language with the organist, right? And you work together, uh, right? And usually, organist probably has some ideas that um, that he or she want to have in in the instrument, some specification, maybe of, uh, some 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 features of the organ or style. And you you know uh, the intricate language of this of the organist, yeah. so you can be on the same page. Absolutely, and one of the things that we have to, one of the things I, as an owner of a company and a builder, has to do sometimes is be able to take that discussion with the organist and interpret it to the staff that work for us and with us, you know, so that they understand. Because musicians are always a, f a fun group to work with, and they're they're an interesting breed in their own right sometimes, and. Sometimes I literally have to translate to the staff what it is the organist is looking for because they don't understand what the organist is trying to say. And then once I can relate to the organist, then I can convey that back to the staff. Well, we're going to do it this way because, or we'll mm. we'll we'll finesse that to make this work better here. And then you know ultimately we'll have a you know a good union at the end of an instrument that works with the instrument uh, with the organist is the way they want to do it. So, but yes, interpretation language language, knowing what they're doing, and, and knowing the literature helps a lot sometimes. I, I you know, had the privilege of attending and uh, studying a number of pieces, but also attending a number of recitals and concerts, so I, I watch how each organist interprets and manipulates various pieces to get various sensations and sounds and, and peaks, and so I have a lot more insight on what they're trying to do in, the, in that regard as well. Uh, right, right, Philip. Uh, when you go to the concert that, uh, that, for example, organist is playing on your own instrument, right, that you built, uh, do you have mm -hmm. a special feeling, special connection with this in comparison to other instruments, let's say? Um, I do, because hopefully at the end of it you'll be proud of what you've produced. But one of the things that is always interesting to me is that the different personality an instrument will take on with the various organists that sit down at the, at the console. Um, I go into things sometimes with a mindset of a sound and what I expect it to do and what I want it to do. And I'm always very pleased when I can see an organist work through and, and perform something in the manner that 
I envisioned and that they feel is correct. But then again, it's also very interesting to see some of the things that they can manage to, um, you know, to extract from the instrument in terms of sound and feel from perspectives that I never even thought about. So it's always it's always both gratifying but very educational. And I've I've heard a number of instruments we've built played with a number of different organists. And always very interesting to see the perspective you come away at the end of a concert on how they did things and how they got to where they wanted to go. So it's we really do look at it as sometimes we provide a palette of color and sound, and it's up to the artist and the organist to to, to manage and meld that together the way they want it to. Um, but yes, very much. I enjoy that. Uh, but I also, too, like going and listening to other builders. I'm not afraid to go listen to my colleagues. I find that just as educational on how they manage things and sometimes the perspective they have on an instrument and even how the instrument works in the space because a lot of things we do with our design work isn't just for the literature and the music, but how that instrument manages that within the given space that we're that we have to work with because the room is at the end of the day is our resonator it's not like it is our guitar body or the violin body we have to rely on what the room does for us to make the instrument successful mm-hmm. right uh, so philip uh, when when you remember those days when you studied organ playing uh, and compare your work that you're doing it today for example building organs and managing the big, big company and leading an uh, entire association of organists right organ builders into the future um uh, uh, w- would you say that building organs requires more skills in problem problem solving than playing the instrument i would say I would say if you're dealing with an existing room, guidance of solving problems, yes. If we have the luxury of designing a room and a space, guidance of how to to make things the best they can be is also good. Um, but yes, we, we do have to look at things with a different perspective when we're actually constructing the instrument. We know what we know what the organist wants and what they hope to achieve, then we need to try to figure out how to match that to the room and the space and the resources of the instrument. But um, it it is a very complex way we manage things and we treat we treat instruments on an individual basis. We only build one to two instruments a year. Um, and I think that in and of itself is why we've had a very good success rate with our own instruments. I think that is why the industry, as it has moved back to smaller builders, has a very high success rate with many of the instruments that are being built today, probably even better now than 30 years ago, where instruments were more mass-produced back then. So, mm-hmm. um, But understanding and knowledge is very helpful in, in managing those space in the instrument. Yeah, the reason I ask this, uh, Philip, is because, of course, uh, when we play the organ, uh, sometimes, yes, we get stuck, uh, but if we know the system, how to how to l- really uh, 
you know master the piece uh, put uh, everything into order uh, learn uh, separate parts and put them together you know if you ha- if we have a good uh, method in practice right uh, everything uh, supposedly should go smooth smoothly yes. so once in a while we get stuck of course but i i would imagine when you build an instrument uh, like this you you have a, a specific plan of action right from uh, where to begin right what is the middle what what's the end result right you have a vision but uh, i think you you still get uh, some kind of unpredictability right uh, something is not right today and you have to go around this obstacle or or solve it in another way don't you think oh I, oh absolutely and sometimes we get we we get into issues where um, a room got changed or a renovation changed the parameters of the acoustics that you didn't count on um, or you, you've you worked with a church extensively on designing an instrument only to find out that what they told you the, the room was going to be was nothing what they conveyed in the initial planning. Um, how the instrument got laid out, yes, is another perspective because the larger the instruments become while they're much more work tonally and artistically the easier they are to build because we have more tonal resources to work with it is the smaller instruments that are much much more challenging uh, sometimes because of the limitations but yet the flexibility the organist wants from that instrument um, but that is the problem solving and sometimes we look at different methods on to you know how we solve things sometimes it may be a duplex of the stop sometimes we may go back and scale something differently uh, sometimes we may physically rearrange something in the instrument for better egress of so- of tone into the room so there's a number of aspects we have to look at from that regard mm-hmm. right uh, let me ask uh, a question philip from the perspective of an improviser you know I, I play things spontaneously and create on the spot. So, uh, uh, so when I make a mistake, and that happens uh, quite often, sometimes this mistake leads me to a new direction, and it's it becomes a new a, a new beginning or a really integral part of the piece that I'm creating in the moment. So, uh, my question to you, Philip, is when you build organs. Uh, Sometimes mistakes do happen, right? Uh, how do you mm-hmm. deal with mistakes, and and uh, is uh, can you can you convert the negative uh, side of the mistake into positive? Uh, we can always do our best to correct the mistakes, um, and we always do our best to avoid them in the beginning. Uh, obviously, it's 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 much. It is much an instrument of material and labor, so we we really do make very careful calculations on how we 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 scale things, how we put them together. But sometimes you can make a minor change in a scale in a room and correct the problem. Sometimes you simply have to go back to the beginning and start over and rescale something completely. Or sometimes you get into a situation and discover that maybe another stop would have been more successful here. Um, I've I've made changes in process of building instruments in the, in the past where we got into a scenario and realized this just simply was not the best way to go about this. 
and usually sit down and consult with a client on why we want to make a change and discuss it. And um, we've, we've been very fortunate. Most of our clients are very understanding and very knowledgeable of what we're trying to achieve and usually allow us to do that. It always requires a certain level of good business to manage things in that regard. But yes, you know, just because you started with a particular vision in the beginning, that's not that's not necessarily the limitation of the process. We can always look at other ways to figure things out. And if the client has become a committed partner in the process, in most of our cases they have been, they're not afraid to let you do that. They're very willing to sit down and talk to you and very willing to let you manage the things that you want. There's obviously a certain amount of faith that goes into selecting the builder, and they've done that homework before we were ever selected. So that's where we look at the cooperative work and, you know, working relation coming from is after we get past the initial interview process. Mm -hmm. And when something is not working uh, the way you expect it, when you scale something differently, right, in the process, right, and uh, when the result is really surprising uh, to you, uh, do you sometimes feel that the mistake, uh, so-called mistake, is even even better thing, sometimes uh, uh, produces even more interesting results? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. There's no question we've changed things in the past and walked away with a much better perspective and a much better satisfaction of what we achieved than what we would have done had we stayed with the original course of plan. So, um, yes, I mean, it's always something to be built on. And in, in the process of doing our own instruments, I make copious and specific notes about how we do certain things in the instruments. And I often go back and refer to those past experiences with other instruments. Okay, we we scaled or designed a flute in this manner, or we set up and used a particular scale or pressure of a reed here. And we let those be a lot of guiding factors in the early discussions and design of an instrument and then as we move through the current instrument we're building we we still continue to keep our notes uh, on file and we file those back for future reference as well um, it's it's very helpful it's a good process that has worked well for us for years and it's a, it's a process I know a number of other builders use as well mm -hmm. and Philip uh, what is um, the instrument that you are most proud of that you build Oh, that's, uh, it's a difficult question, of course. To, that's, to, to that's a very difficult question. That's like asking a parent who's exactly. their favorite child. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry, not a good question. But what's still? Well, no, no, no. It's it, it, I, I put it in perspective like this. Oh, you know, I spent a number of years in the automobile industry prior to getting fully into the organ industry. I obviously am still an avid car collector. Um, I know a lot of people who collect cars who are very brand or mark specific on what they collect. I don't. I have everything. I have a wide variety of things in my collection because I appreciate and enjoy them for what they are and what they do. And that's like asking me which is my favorite car in the collection. I, it's very difficult because I appreciate them for what they are and in that and in the type of car they are. The instruments is, are just as well. I can think of a very small three-stop tracker we built for a college, which I think is a delightful little instrument to play, and I can spend hours at it. We did a very large project for a church in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina that's 65 ranks, that's 
also a very fine instrument. It depends on what I'm looking for that instrument to do and what I want to do that at that particular given point in time. So it's a difficult question. I'm very happy with all the instruments we've built, and I'm not afraid for any of the clients to see any of them. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's 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 just like uh, like. Uh like living your life out loud and uh, owning anything you you, you make a, a little of less less uh, quality but still saying it's my work i did it you know and uh, yes. i learned from mistake maybe and uh, do something differently next time but still uh, it's part of of the process right exactly mm -hmm. very much And Philip, uh, um, when you're leading this amazing organization into the future, do you think that uh, uh, sticking together as an org as a group of uh, a large group of organ builders, right, is um, can you can you do uh, more influential things, uh, more things that matter in the entire profession? I think so. Um, I was I was elected a year, a little over a year ago, as the president of the American Institute of Organ Builders, and um, the uh, the organization is a very fine group of builders and people in the industry. Um, but it was established as a continuing education organization. Mm -hmm. It is where we get together several times a year. We share our experiences, our knowledge, and our working thoughts and facts with others and, and I found it very beneficial and I, I find it's a great group to work with. Most any of them are willing to sit down and discuss anything with you. They'll share their ideas and thoughts. Obviously it's a group of artists so we don't always agree on everything. That can make for very interesting conversations but nonetheless we are all very much interested in an established professional set of guidelines on how we do things and the uh, American Institute of Organ Builders has been very instrumental in trying to set up some of those guidelines and how they manage installations, business dealings and contracts and client relations and things of that nature. So um, it's, it's a good group. We are, we've been very instrumental in doing um, examination and certification process within the organization for people to achieve different levels of building proficiency. Uh, it does not overshadow or dictate the artistry or the style that they want to build in. All we want to do is make sure that people have the appropriate information and knowledge to do whatever style they do in the best manner they can do it. And I think AIO has a very important role in a kind of help in helping to set those standards in our industry here in American organ building. I would say in the 25-plus years I have been in this industry, though, I have seen a steady rise of the quality of instruments over the last 25 years. And I would say that right now American organ building is probably at the, at the best point of quality and success that it has been in the history of American organ building. We probably build fewer instruments now because of changes in demographics and societal church behavior and things of that nature, but I think the quality of each instrument is significantly higher than it was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And most of my colleagues feel the same way right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you still have a, a, a large group of organ builders who build the factory-like organs, like... Uh, you know, produce mass-like uh, instruments, or I it's more of a changing uh, perspective when y each instrument is unique and a work of art? 
Um, the major builders have many of the major builders have 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 fallen uh, and are no longer in business. We still have two predominantly large builders in the United States or North America that are still active in building. But I, I attribute their success rate to the fact that they have understood the necessity to be able to to tailor their instruments and building more to the specifics of the client and the customer. Um, the, the customer and the client now that's buying the instrument isn't looking for the standard factory production instrument. They're looking for something that's individual that meets their desires and needs. The smaller builder is more attuned and able to do that. The larger builders had a problem managing it because it just did not fit their business model. The larger builders that have changed their source of operation and are willing to to manage that um, set of details with the clients and be more specific have been the ones that have survived over the years. Um, so it's it's more an artistic entity now, I think, than it is a factory production type entity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's worked out well. That's actually, Philip, uh, very similar to what's happening in to an entire, let's say, economic uh, situation in the world, basically in the Western society, that the factory made uh, products or mass product products, right? Uh, mass marketing is no longer uh, such an important and viable part of the society. Uh, yes, we do have mass mass products, and we still go to gro- grocery stores every day, but. But uh, given the chance to choose uh, from from the things uh, produced uh, one on one, right, uh, by the artist, we definitely uh, would choose the artist instead of the instead of the um, you know anonymous anonymous uh, mass producer. Oh, absolutely, and and one of the things too is is that. Um Believe it or not, even though that most of organ most pipe organs are still built very much in traditional fashion in terms of the construction of pipes and wind chest, there's still various aspects of our industry that have allowed us to access and take advantage of technology that um, have helped keep our cost in line and make the instruments even more flexible and more reliable. Um, the movement for the old electromechanical systems have moved over to solid-state technology has been a big improvement. One of the big factors we use in our own shop, though, is computer-aided design. CAD design has been very extensively embraced by our industry, which allows us a greater ability to sit down and design what-ifs or different visual perspectives without actually having to construct it. And yet, when we do get ready to construct it, we have a greater level of accuracy on how we manage the construction process. So mm-hmm. while we still do things, many things in an old school or old world type setting, we are using technology of today that makes us do it more efficiently and, and with a greater accuracy level. So we're we're not as old school sometimes as people think we are. We've embraced the things that make it work for us. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, Philip, uh, as we are going into the future, right, 21st century and beyond, uh, what is the, uh, the most uh, challenging thing that American organ building faces today? Can, can you uh, point to one or, I, or a few? I, 
I, I think probably one of the biggest challenges we face is that there is somewhat a perception that this is a dead industry that doesn't do anything or isn't working anymore. There is nothing there. Many people that I talk to on a daily basis are still surprised that we still build the pipe organ. I, I would like to convey that that industry is still very alive, very healthy. The thing that we're probably looking at being our biggest obstacle now is getting that word out there so that people know that there is still a viable option of entertaining, you know, the a career in organ building. Uh, we are looking at different avenues and methods to make people aware that they can come and look and and apprentice and work for companies and still do a craft or a trade like this. Um, so it's it's our objective to you know to go out and and find people that are willing to come into the industry we have we have work we have space we have need for people and that's what we're trying to entice people to come back and and you know try their hand at organ building and AIO is very instrumental in working towards that um the AGO American Guild of Organists is also working with some of our organizations and providing um uh organ uh, tech camps so that people can actually come and experience what an organ builder does in a week camp through the summer months for our young people. We'll be hosting one here in Atlanta, Georgia uh, in 2017 where we're going to have space for 20 students to come in and actually see firsthand what we do. Um, I was party to one of these in 2016, uh, in 2015 in Oklahoma and we actually gained several people that came into the industry from that particular um, uh, week-long uh, workshop, and we're hoping that we'll gain some more people in 2017 as well. Well, that was uh, such a delightful conversation, Philip. I'm so happy that you shared uh, uh, with our listeners all over the world uh, the, the current uh, uh, state of American uh, organ building, plus your own experiences in building organs and playing them in the, in, at the beginning. So, uh, of course, uh, now listeners are eager to know more about your work, w what you do, and your uh, American Institute of Organ Builders. Can you give our listeners a link where they can find you and your work online? Absolutely. Um, they may find uh, the American Institute of Organ Builders website at uh, www.pipeorgan.org, P-I-P-E-O-R-G-A-N.org. And there are contacts and information on how to become a member, how to access different information, and um, membership list of who they might contact in the industry in that area near them. Right. And uh, can, you fi can they find more about uh, Parky Organ Builders as well there? Absolutely. They can find it through links through the AIO. Uh, our firm is also a member of the American uh, Pipe Organ Builders Association, APOBA. They can go to that site, website at APOBA as well. And then uh, they can also do a search for Parky Organ Builders on the web and find us that way. You know what I hope, uh, Philip, from this conversation that that uh, young people from from the organ playing field will come uh, with a new understanding what it takes to build uh, an organ and maybe get a little bit of a curiosity and maybe some of them will uh, will contact you or your colleagues you know for uh, for trying things and uh, maybe getting uh, apprenticeship you know that would be great 
we would love to have them. We would love to have the contacts and 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 put them in contact with other people. But we'd love to see that. And we're also always always happy to have organists come and visit and uh, tour our facility, as many of our other colleagues will also accommodate as well. Okay, Philip, thank you so much for your time, generosity, uh, and insights. And keep leading this great uh, uh, Institute of uh, Organ Builders uh, into the future, right? And uh, keep being brave and creative. Very good. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you online 